So we are reading from John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, which is in your new fancy books. I'll give you a moment to find it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the... Well, a very good evening to you. Yes, please do take a seat. And uh, a very warm welcome to St. Mary's, um, particularly if this is your very first time with us here. If that is you, uh, we hope you feel especially welcome. It is uh, wonderful to have you join us. Uh, my name's Rob. I'm the rector, uh, the, uh, the leader of St. Mary's, and um, I've been in the job about six months. And it is a real delight to welcome uh, you all this evening. Now, I'm very sorry I cannot be there in person. I am actually in the building, so uh, I'm just upstairs. Uh, but unfortunately, I had the dreaded second line on the lateral flow test this morning. Um, I tried to ignore it, but I couldn't. And uh, it has meant that I've got to uh, be grounded and uh, stay in this room. But I hope things work, uh, and I hope you'll bear with me uh, on uh, the next over the next few minutes. So it'd um, be a great help for, for, for you, I think, if you could just keep um, that book handy. Uh, we're going to look at page four, and we're going to look at that passage that was read out to us. Uh, but before we do anything, I wanted to play for us a short video clip. Uh, so let's watch that now. Great. I absolutely love James Corden. Um, the reason I started with that clip is because I guess for a lot of us, James Corden is pretty typical. When it comes to that question, what is faith? Or what do I think? Most of us share something very similar. We say we don't know. Uh, sure, on one end of the spectrum, there are people who rule out the question of God. And there are, of course, uh, people who believe in God. But the vast majority of people, let's be honest, are in the middle. And we say, like James Corden, we just don't know. But I wonder if it could be any different. See, what if we could be more certain? Well, over the next few weeks, we have a series of four talks looking at the topic of Christianity for doubters. Now, I've called it Christianity for doubters because, firstly, that's where we are in the 21st century. We've seen that in the video, haven't we? Our default position when it comes to the claims of the Bible, both for Christians and non-Christians, is to doubt. But the second reason I've called this series Christianity for Doubters is because the text we're going to be looking at were actually written for people who doubt. Um, all the texts, they come from uh, John's Gospel, uh, and a Gospel is a kind of account of Jesus's life and death and resurrection. And um, the one you've got before you is one of four Gospels. Uh, it starts at the New Testament. And... Um, I wonder if you could just turn over the very first page. You'll see that there's a little sentence at the bottom on that very first page. And you'll read there that John tells us why he writes. This comes right at the end. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So, Notice here, John is not speaking to people who are 100% convinced already. 
he's not speaking to people who have already made their mind up. Rather, he's speaking to people to convince them that they can really believe that what he writes is true. So whether you're along this evening and you're not a Christian or whether you are, or whether this is the very first time you've picked up the Bible, or whether you know the Bible cover to cover, actually John is writing to you. Anyone who is prone to doubt, he's writing to you. And this evening we're focusing on that very first part of this gospel. It's a bit like the kind of front porch uh, to the rest of the gospel. It doesn't tell us everything, but it gives us three reasons why we should want to delve in and explore what John has got to say. Uh, The first reason is because of the person. The second reason John gives is because of uh, the proof. And the third reason is because of the promise. We're going to look at the person, the proof, and the promise. See, first of all, the person. Because this gospel is like a, a kind of biography. It gives us details about someone. And that person is Jesus Christ. Now, with any good biography, you start right at the beginning, don't you? Where they were born, uh, when they were born, and who they were born to. And it's no different with this biography, except one very significant difference. Now, it's worth saying that John calls Jesus by a nickname here. He calls him the Word. And notice, if you go back to page four, those little sentences one and two, notice there what he says about this Word. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So just hear what he's saying there. This is someone who is with God, someone who was God, someone who stands alongside God but is so indistinguishable from God that he's called God himself. And you see that in his actions described in that next sentence, sentence three. Through him all things were made, Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Now, if you're familiar with the opening verses of the Bible, you'll notice a bit of copyright violation here because uh, those verses mirror the very first verses of Genesis, uh, the very first book of the Bible. Uh, There we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But of course, John's not plagiarising, it's a play on those words. To show us that Jesus was that God right there at the beginning. As far as introductions go, you can't get any more grand, can you? Jesus, he says, this word is no less than God. He was right there at the beginning. He always was and he always will be. Now, I realise that raises all sorts of questions, and we're going to come to those questions. Uh, But at this stage, we can see quite clearly why this figure, Jesus, matters so much. See, I didn't become a Christian until I was uh, at university uh, at 21. And um, I grew up pretty sceptical about Christianity. I didn't go to church or anything like that um, uh, uh, when I was a teenager. And the main reason I didn't, is because I just didn't think Jesus was that important. 
sure, he seemed like a nice guy. He had some good things to say. But beyond that, well, he didn't really affect my day-to-day life. But then a friend pointed me to the Bible. And as I read the Bible, I realized that Jesus isn't just an inspiring leader or an impressive teacher. See, as I read it, I read that the claims go much further than that. Jesus claims to be no less than God the Son. See, no other world religion, no other world philosophy even comes close to this. See, coming back to James Corden right at the beginning, this really helps us, doesn't it? Because a lot of us, as I said at the beginning, find ourselves in that kind of doubt. Does God exist? Does he not? Uh, But actually, this really helps us, doesn't it? Because the question of God's existence actually is a question of who Jesus is. Because if we see that Jesus really is this figure, this God, uh, the Son figure, well, then the answer to the question, does God exist, is answered for us. See, this is where John starts, with the person of Jesus. And he shows us that this person is no like uh, like no other. Now, obviously, that raises the question, doesn't it? Is it actually true? But John goes on to show us a second reason why we should read this gospel. In the proof, we heard about the person, and now he goes on to show us the proof. Because let's be honest, the claim that someone is God is not a claim that is automatically accepted. It is a claim that requires a big justification. But that's what John actually provides next uh, in this passage. Now, it gets a little bit confusing here because there are actually two Johns. There's the John who's writing and there's another John called John the Baptist. And uh, John the Baptist is a bit like a kind of warm-up act for Jesus. But notice what John the writer tells us about John the Baptist. Uh, He speaks about him in that sentence six Uh, on page four. He says this, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now, when the Bible wants to highlight something, it does so by repeating it several times and you'll notice there that there's this repeated idea of witness Uh, it comes there uh, in verse 7 and uh, in that sentence 8 and in fact it's there in the word testify in the original witness and testify uh, are actually the same word so in two sentences you've got John bringing this theme of witness into it now why does that matter well because witness and testimony is a big theme in John's gospel. Uh, To witness something or to to testify about something, it's much more than kind of hearsay. It's much more than someone's opinion. It is a word that comes straight out of the courtroom. Now, of course, in our legal system, uh, we have kind of trials, don't we? I can't just accuse you of stealing my uh, property Uh, and you automatically go to jail. That would be very nice and convenient for some people, I'm sure, but that's not the way it works, is it? You go to a courtroom, and uh, all sorts of witnesses are called forward. Uh, uh, A witness who may have seen you uh, walk in 
uh, at, uh, at the certain time where you were accused of something, uh, another witness defending uh, your honor. And, and what happens, those witnesses, they come into the courtroom, they say their piece, and the jury has to weigh up whether that witness is credible. And John is doing something similar with this gospel. He doesn't just expect us to automatically believe. Rather, he's presenting to us witnesses to persuade us. See, we're a bit like the jury looking in on this gospel. And our job is to ask that question, is this credible? Is this witness we're, we're seeing uh, telling the truth? Now, this really helped me because... Before I looked into Christianity, I thought it was all about removing your brain and leaving your thinking at the door. But then I realised I completely misunderstood what Christianity was about. See, Christianity uh, is um, about deciding something's true. See, right at the beginning, James Corden, he, he spoke, didn't he, about faith. And he said, I don't really know what faith is. It, it's just a hunch. Uh, and that's pretty typical. A lot of people think faith is just a belief in something despite evidence to the contrary. So, no, I can't see God, but I have faith that he exists. But actually, that's not what the Bible means by faith. See, faith in the Bible is believing something because of the evidence. Uh, there's a guy called John Lennox who used to be a professor at the University of Oxford and uh, I mean, this guy is an absolute genius uh, when it comes to mathematics. And uh, he uh, speaks about the Christian faith quite a bit. And he says this quote. I don't know if it's on our screen, but I'll read it to us. Faith is not a leap in the dark. It's exact opposite. It's a commitment based on evidence. Now, do you hear what he's saying? See, faith is a commitment. It's, it's trusting the witness that's presenting uh, 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 themselves to us see at the end of the day even the strongest opponents of the christian faith admit that jesus was a real person who lived at a real time who spoke with real people who lived in a real place and the question is did what he say and what people tell us about what he said and what he did are they true witnesses or are they false See, a lot of people say to me, I'd love to have your faith. If only I could have your faith, I'd love to believe. But I try and point out to them that actually we all have faith, don't we? The question is, which way that faith falls? Is, is it faith that uh, trusts what is said to us and, and accepts it as true? Or is it faith that, that actually this is all false? See, when you look at it like that, the question doesn't become, can I have faith? But where am I going to put my faith? In the true basket or the false basket? See, as a church, this is what we're all about. Um, we're not in the business of strong-arming people. Uh, we're not calling people to say they believe something when they really don't. See, our job as a church is to just present these witnesses uh, through what is written in the Bible. And call people to make up their mind. But I guess maybe we're thinking to ourselves, why do I even need to bother making up my mind? I mean, why do I need to decide anyway? Well, there's a third reason John gives us for thinking about this. He's shown us the person. 
He's shown us that there's proof. And thirdly, he shows us there's promise. See, we can make a big claim, can't we? And we can even provide evidence, but we don't necessarily want it to be true. I'm now at the age where I have my cholesterol tested. It's very fun. Um, I had my first results in, and let's just say they were suboptimal. And um, I had no reason to doubt that. I saw the results. I was there for the blood test, obviously. Uh, I, I trusted the evidence that was put before me. But did I think it was good? Or did I want to change as a result? Well, no. Ask me what I thought of my cholesterol scores as, uh, scores as I um, as I tuck into a double cheeseburger. Then I would tell you uh, that actually it hasn't changed an awful amount. But actually, this is not a truth like that. This is a truth that actually changes everything for the better. Uh, John here, he doesn't just speak about the person of Jesus, but he speaks about the promise that comes through Jesus. Um, Have a look at sentence 12 with me uh, on that page, uh, page four. He says this, Yet to all who did receive Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. See, Jesus didn't come to teach us some morals. He didn't come to give us a good example of how to love one another. Fundamentally, he came for something different. He came to make us children of God. Now, I know that will sound probably quite strange uh, if we're new to these things, and we're going to look at that over the next uh, few weeks. But in a nutshell, it means that God becomes our parent. See, just like a son or daughter knows their father, so it is that we can know God as our father. Uh, Just as a child plays safely, in their parents' home, and they're happy to play away, not even worried about uh, the dangers uh, that might be around them. Well, so it is that actually we have the opportunity to know God and be safe with him. And just like a child is accepted by their parents, so that whatever they do, they, they are given unconditional love and, and welcome. Well, so it is here that here is the promise that we can know God like that. Now, I realise for many of us, that has not been the experience of our childhoods. Uh, For many of us, I guess we might not have known a parent or not known our home life as one of safety or acceptance. But here is a parent like no other. See, here is someone who will never let us down, who never forsakes us, who knows us more than we can imagine because he made us. See, here in a nutshell is why Jesus matters. He brings us to know our creator. He brings us to that relationship with the God who made us. Now, when I was looking into Christianity, I just didn't get this. Because I thought to myself that being a Christian was a way of life. It was a way of, it was something to practice. But as I read the Bible, I saw something completely different was on offer here. Not a way of life, not a practice, but a person. And a person who comes 
with an incredible promise to restore life as it's meant to be. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to think more about what that means. But can you just see at this point, I guess, why it matters so much? See, if true, if there's even a remote possibility this is true, well, this is a complete game changer, isn't it? Here is the opportunity to know the God who made us. See, none of us know for certain. We're all born into a world where we uh, didn't choose it. We We were born in a time we didn't select. And we're all trying to make sense of this world. And Jesus claims to be able to do that and claims to be able to take us to our creator. Even if there's a remote possibility of that being true, isn't it worth examining and worth considering? We've seen, haven't we, that John invites us to look at these claims about Jesus, first of all, because of the person Jesus is, or rather the God he is. Secondly, because there's proof, this isn't just hearsay, this isn't just believe it because I said, but actually we're going to see witnesses. And thirdly, because there's a promise right at the centre of this, that our lives can be brought to know the God who made us. And the question for all of us is, will we look into this? Will we consider it? And um, will we think more about it? Well, thank you very much for listening. I think we're going to pause there and we're going to sing. And then I think we've got some questions. So over to Aaron. Now we've got the chance to ask Rob uh, some of the questions that you've had. Um, So thank you for sending those in. And now turn time to... Hit Rob with them. Rob, can you hear us okay? I can hear you, yeah. Beautiful. Okay, I'm going to start This is cool, isn't it? (laughs) This is fancy, isn't it? Uh, Let's start with the first question. So, why doesn't John write in a simpler way using more plain language? It seems there's more explanation needed rather from the start. Yeah, thank you for the question. Yes, it doesn't seem like he's as straightforward as he could be. Um, But John is not just giving us a kind of blow-by-blow account in the simplest form. There's some art here. He's trying to uh, lure us in, in a a positive sense, to to look at what follows. Um, I think about this, and I was thinking, um, in films, you often get the kind of um, a confusing start that then gets unpacked during during the film or the programme. So if you've ever seen Breaking Bad, you'll know that there's this kind of black and white sequence. I think they call it a cold open uh, in the um, in the movie world. Uh, in Breaking Bad, you get this kind of black and white sequence, and you're thinking to yourself, "What is that about? Why is that in the swimming pool? What's that got to do with this story?" And it, as you go through the program, you then start to realise how it all kind of uh, makes sense. And there's something of that in this part of the gospel, not to confuse us, not to put us off the trail, but to to get us to think, "Wow, um, who is this guy?" Uh, and how can I find out more? Great. That was a really helpful analogy, actually. not heard that before. Um, I hope everyone else found that helpful. So, um, next question. Does other evidence speak about Jesus and his miracles? Historical accuracy would look for more than one source. So, what other sources have we got? Yeah, thank you for the question. You're absolutely right. Historical accuracy would look for more than one source. And the answer to that is yes. Um, one of the benefits of being in my study 
uh, would you believe it, is that I've got access to my books. And um, I've just got this off the shelf. Uh, it's a book written in the first century by a historian, not a Christian, uh, someone called Josephus. And um, he writes uh, a number of volumes about the first century. And in uh, his book, uh, not this one, another book, The Iniquities, he writes about Jesus uh, and about him being a worker of miracles. So that's one example. There is a few other examples uh, as well. But it's worth saying that um, actually that is what the Bible is. The Bible isn't just one book. It's been compiled into one book. But actually it's 66 books. And all of those books collectively are about Jesus. Um, the Bible can be split up into kind of three parts. So there's the pre-match build-up, which is the Old Testament. Uh, and that kind of sets the groundwork for Jesus uh, so that when Jesus comes, he's not a complete surprise. Uh, and then you've got the match itself, which is the four Gospels. We'll come back to those in a moment. And then you've got the post-match analysis, which is the rest of the New Testament. Um, so on either end of those four Gospels, you've got this kind of build-up and unpacking uh, of who Jesus is. But even in those four Gospels themselves, you've got four slightly different accounts of who Jesus is, all pointing to very similar events, uh, but all in their own unique way. Um, so you're absolutely right. We want to be good historians. We want to be good uh, uh, students. Uh, and, by, uh, and I think as we look at the Bible, we see that there are other uh, historical uh, accounts of Jesus. Um, I just picked one. Uh, because it's easy and we haven't got all night. Lovely. Don't you love it when you, you finally get to show off your account of Josephus? Um. Yes, yeah, right. I knew it would come in handy. It's the only reason he's got it. Um, but yeah, actually, that's a really helpful kind of reminder that actually the Bible itself is a whole collection of different sources from different authors about the same thing. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, grand. Okay, we'll finish on this last question, um, maybe a little bit deeper. It asks, how can I truly know I'm saved when I'm struggling, whether it be physical, mental, or spiritual health? What can I take comfort in? Yeah, thank you for sharing that question. And I'm, I'm sorry to, to hear uh, that you're in that position. Um, I, I won't say a huge amount about what it means to be saved because um, we're going to come to that question over the next two weeks. So um, we... Saved is one of those words that Christians often use, and uh, it does pop up in the Bible, but we just want to be uh, careful we understand what that means. And so over the, the next week uh, and the week after, particularly, we're going to be looking at this question of what it means to be saved. Um, but to answer that second part of the question, what can I take comfort in? Um, I hope even just seeing this passage, you can take comfort in the fact that Jesus has come on a mission to bring us to know God. He's not come to condemn us. He's not come to um, give us an impossible example to follow. Um, yes, there are tough things he has to say to us, and we'll be looking at that over the next few weeks. But fundamentally, he's come with a good purpose in mind. He's come with this unbelievable promise to restore us to our Creator. Now, that doesn't make all the suffering go away. It doesn't mean that we have a life where we're not struggling physically, mentally, or spiritually. But it does mean we have a God whose fundamental disposition is towards our good. And um, I hope you can just see that in Jesus here. 
um, that actually he's come to do that. Uh, the second thing to say is that I found it quite helpful, and I, hear me right on this, I, I don't mean it, this to come up across harsh at all, but, but it's helpful, isn't it, to see that actually this isn't really about us at the moment. Um, we will get to us, but actually this is about Jesus. And I know that when I'm particularly struggling with things, often it's because I leave him out of the equation. I know that I can easily um, get uh, overwhelmed with my uh, circumstances. And um, that's not to deny those circumstances are really tough, but, but I, I would encourage you, if, um, if you're a Christian, to, to bring in uh, Jesus uh, into those things, because he understands, he's lived our life, um, he knows what suffering is in every sense, and he's come to do something about it. So um, there's a few things. I hope that's helpful, but thank you very much for your question. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you, Rob.